Well, the presence of the Lord in this house this morning has just been so beautiful, and we're so blessed to be in his house together this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us on this Palm Sunday, this rainy Palm Sunday. But we just pray for the refreshing rains of the Holy Spirit to just bathe us. Amen. We want to also welcome those who are joining us by web stream this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know that some of you could not be here and told us that you would be worshiping with us through web stream. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate that so very much. If you're here for the first time this morning, we want to especially welcome you. Thank you for worshiping with us. And if you'd be so kind as to just complete a visitor card uh, and uh, either hand it to an usher or put it on the table as you leave, we would appreciate the opportunity of getting to know you better. Uh, we also want to thank you for your faithfulness in supporting this church. I mentioned last Sunday that one of our visitors said to me after the service, Pastor, I've never been in a church where they didn't take up an offering. Churches, I guess, are notorious for that, right? <laughs> but in this uh, COVID season, as we are following CDC guidelines, there's this no-touch environment, but there are receptacles at uh, either entrances or exits that you would, uh, if you'd be so kind as to leave your offering there, we appreciate your faithful support. We're looking forward to a great week this week and looking forward especially to next Sunday as we worship the Lord together on Resurrection Sunday. How many of you plan on being here? Amen. Bring someone with you. Easter Sunday is notorious for being a day when the church house is full. And I think our church is big enough that we could still kind of socially distant and uh, still maintain safety. But we believe that when we're in the house of the Lord, we're under the protection of the blood of Jesus. And no plague comes nigh our dwelling. Amen. I know we need to be cautious, but we also need to have faith, and we need to stand on the word of God. And I'm so grateful for the way the Lord has protected the High Street Worship Center family during this uh, pandemic. Well, if you're ready for the word of the Lord this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel according to St. Mark chapter 11. And I don't know if it's me because I'm getting older, but it just, somebody said, uh-oh, that's what I say. But it seems that time is just flying by. Didn't we just close up the Christmas holiday and put the tree away? I feel like that was just like yesterday, and it's hard to believe that the first quarter of this year is already gone, and here we are celebrating Palm Sunday, and next Sunday is Easter. Where does the time fly? Well, all of that to say, because of the holidays, we're just going to take a very brief hiatus from our series on praying the word. And this morning, I want to answer the question that you see on the screen. What's the big deal about Palm Sunday? I know Easter Sunday is the big deal, right? And most Christians really don't make a big deal out of Palm Sunday. Well, it's just the week before Easter and we go to church and some people take a palm and wave it, but actually no big deal. Well, I pray that before this 
message is ended, we will see that Palm Sunday is a big deal. So let's read uh, from Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, in the highest. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word this morning. What's the big deal about Palm Sunday? Well, there is actually more than one answer to that question. But if nothing else, I want to suggest that Palm Sunday is a big deal because it marks the beginning of Holy Week. I don't know if you as a believer take note of that, but certainly every one of us should. It's called Holy Week because it's the last week of Jesus' life on the earth and most Christians in some way, shape, or form observe that week. Many even fast. Many take extra time to spend reading in the Gospels concerning what Jesus was doing during that last week, but most of all, remembering the passion of Jesus Christ and reflecting during this week how Jesus came to fulfill his raison d'etre. Why did he come to die on the cross for you and for me? And do you know as Christians sometime we could just get so busy with our life and take so much for granted. But there is one thing that we must never, ever take for granted, and that is the cross. The Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I glory save in the cross of Christ Jesus my Lord. The cross should be something that is kept before us actually every day. For it's by the cross that we live effective Christian lives. It's by the cross that we live victorious Christian lives. It's by the cross that all the provision of Calvary is made available to us in whatever that is that we need. Jesus paid the price by dying on the cross 
for you and for me. So should we not as kingdom Christians, not church people, church people go to, Palm, go to service on Palm Sunday and then they forget about Jesus until next week when it's Easter Sunday. And of course, if there's one day that they're going to be in church, it's going to be on Easter Sunday because that's what church people do. But kingdom people live with the reality and drink of the wealth of the riches and the deep well of all of the truth and the revelation there is for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, it's really sad to consider that we typically spend one day. So here we are on Palm Sunday thinking about Palm Sunday. And most of us will forget about Passion Week until Good Friday. And just maybe in the midst of preparing for the Easter holiday, we might spend a few moments thinking about, oh, it's Good Friday. And the hour of our Lord when he died on the cross. Yet, if you look at the Gospels, they gave so much space to this last week in Jesus' life. Do you know that Matthew dedicates eight of 28 chapters to this last week. Mark dedicates six of 16 chapters. Luke gives six of 24 chapters, and John dedicates 10 of 21 chapters. The Gospels all told have 89 chapters in those four Gospels, and of those 89 chapters, only four chapters cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 85 chapters cover the last three and a half years of his life, which we know is the story of his earthly ministry, but 29 of those 85 chapters, that is one-third of all of the Gospels focus on this last week of the life of Jesus with a clear focus on his passion and on the cross. And where does it all begin? It begins on Palm Sunday. And that is why it's a very big deal because it marks the beginning of those last six days that Jesus spent on the earth. There are actually several reasons that we will look at this morning for why Palm Sunday is a big deal so as we go through the message, let's consider them and ask the Holy Spirit to make them real to our hearts. I think we all know that on that particular Sunday that we read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, a story that is told in all four of the Gospels, it was a really busy day because pilgrims from all over the known world were converging on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover that was to take place in that coming week. And they're preparing for that annual event that they were commanded as good Jewish believers to be in Jerusalem to observe. I think we remember that there were three mandatory feasts that all Jewish believers had to observe in Jerusalem. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And of course, the most significant of those was Passover, 
which as we recall was the celebration of how God delivered them out of Egyptian bondage, which they suffered under for 400 years. That's a long time. When you're in a situation like that, that long, you give up hope that there is ever going to be any escape for any change from that terrible bondage. But God sent Moses and through the 10 plagues convinced Pharaoh that he had to release the children of Israel from Egypt. Nine plagues didn't work, but the 10th one surely did when the firstborn of all of Egypt was slain. And we know that the children of Israel in the land of Goshen, because they applied the blood on the lintel and the doorpost of their home, the death angel passed over them. What an incredible miracle. Deliverance from Egypt, deliverance when everywhere else in the land of Egypt, the firstborn was killed by the death angel, the children of Israel were kept safe. And God said, my people, I never want you to forget what I did for you by delivering you and by causing the death angel to pass over your house. And so every year I want you to observe the Passover. And so on this first Palm Sunday, it was a particularly big deal because this was the very day that Moses prescribed in the law in Exodus 12 and 3 we read that on the 10th day of this month, that's the month of Nisan, each man must select a lamb for his family, one per household. Now isn't it amazing that on that very day that God commanded they needed to select the lamb that they were going to kill on the day of Passover, that Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem declaring, I am your Passover. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who gives life where there is death. And in fact, when he comes riding on a donkey, some would think, well, why didn't he ride on a steed? Well, kings would ride on a stallion when they came to wage war. But Jesus came on a donkey because kings would ride on donkeys when they came to bring peace. But by doing so, he intentionally declared that he was the king of Israel. And in doing that, he was sealing his doom. Because he knew that this would so enrage the religious leaders that they would most certainly determined to put him to death. But it was all according to God's timetable. How many times do we read in the Gospels that they tried to kill Jesus and just somehow, some way, he got through the crowd and they couldn't push him over the cliff because it wasn't his time. Jesus was emphatic, was he not? No, one, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It was also a big deal that Palm Sunday 
because it was actually the fulfillment of three significant Old Testament prophecies. Now I know that prophecy has been in the spotlight lately because there have been a lot of prophets out there who have been prophesying certain things that didn't come to pass. But when God declares something is going to take place, you can count your bottom dollar. It's going to happen just exactly as he said. Consider this morning that 500 years before this Palm Sunday, the Spirit of God declared through the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold. You know what behold is? That's the stop, look, and listen word of the Scripture. Anytime you see the word behold, just stop and consider for a moment. Your king. Did you hear that? Your king. Your long-awaited Messiah, he is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on the colt of a donkey. Fulfilled prophecy 500 years later, just as the prophet declared. The second prophecy that was fulfilled is even more astounding because Daniel prophesied the exact time and day when this event would take place. That was in 530 BC. 530 years this prophetic promise was declared. And we find it in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, comes, there will be seven sevens, and that equals how many? 49 years. And 62 sevens, that equals 434 years. If you add those two numbers together, according to the Jewish calendar, which is 360 days in a year, and then you multiply that number, which is 483 years, you end up with 173, 880 days. I know I just threw out a lot of numbers, but understand the concept here, that when King Artaxerxes do you remember the story of Nehemiah? He was downcast and sullen one day, and the, the king said, Nehemiah, what is up with you? I, I've never seen you so sad. And he said, oh, king. <laughs> he muttered a prayer under his breath, and he said, God, it's, it's now or, or never. Help me. <laughs> and he said, oh, king, my, my city is in desolation. The walls are torn down, and I, it's on my heart to go back and rebuild the walls. Well, in March 14th, 445, because the date is made known in the word of the Lord, on that day, King Artaxerxes declared that he was to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. 
Now you add those 173, 880 days to that date, and guess what? You will arrive at April 6, 32 AD, which is the exact day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem declaring himself the Messiah and the King of Israel. Is that amazing? I mean, when, when God declares something, it is absolute perfection in every detail. And I want to say to you this morning, Christian friends, those of you who are holding on to some promise, but that promise seems like it's delaying, but you know that you know that you know you have heard the voice of the Lord. It was a rhema word to your heart. It was a promise from God to you. God is not a man that he should lie. And though he tarry, he shall come even as he has declared. Because God is true to his word. And every promise he has made comes to fruition and fulfillment. Now there's also one other prophecy that was fulfilled on that day. And that's the prophecy of the psalmist in Psalm 118. A song we've sung for many years. It's kind of gone by the wayside now, as most good songs do, because we have to be contemporary, right? You forgive me, church. You know, I'm a little old-fashioned. And even some of the songs we sang this morning, to me, they are timeless to him who sits on the throne should that ever grow old? Should that ever go out of style? To him be glory and power and honor and dominion forever and ever. So we sing this song. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. Do you know what that prophecy was actually referring to? It was referring to Palm Sunday. Listen to this verse again. Do you see similarities? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to have more to say about that in a moment, but I just want to underscore that this was another prophecy that was fulfilled on that first Palm Sunday. But I want to take us now to John's account of Palm Sunday where we find that there is one other reason that makes Palm Sunday a very big deal. You know, the four Gospels all cover this event, but each have some nuances of insight and truth that we can learn so much from. But John more or less gives us chronology and context because when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, knowing full well that he was going to ride upon a colt into the city and that he would be declared, Hosanna, the king of Israel has come, on his way there that night before, he spends the evening at the home of his best friends, Mary and Martha, who, as we know, were the sisters of Lazarus, whom he just raised from the dead. 
and Mary and Martha are throwing an appreciation party for Jesus. Celebration of this tremendous miracle. I mean, you remember the story. Jesus, if you had been here, we know our brother would not have died. But Jesus knew that he would let Lazarus sleep because God was going to get greater glory by raising him from the dead. And the glory was in affirming and confirming that only the son of the living God can call a man out of the grave that had been there for three days. And during this celebration, we read about Mary who was so overwhelmed with gratitude and appreciation for all that Jesus had done. And because of her great love, what does Mary do? She takes a pound of nard. This was perfume that is worth the year's wage. Think about how much money you make in a year and think about sacrificing that amount of money at the feet of Jesus in just one occasion. She sat at his feet. She understood what was really going on in the life of Jesus. And we know the story that when that cheater and that thief Judas Iscariot saw what was happening, why wasn't this sold? We could have taken care of so many poor people. And Jesus said, you leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. What was in Mary's heart? Do you know what was in Mary's heart? She knew Jesus was going to die. And before he died, as it were, I'm not going to give him roses after he's dead. I want him to know my huge heart of love and appreciation for him. And I'm taking that which is most valuable to me, that which brings me the most security, that which is most precious to me, and I'm going to pour it out on his feet and wipe his feet with the hair of my head. And isn't that such a beautiful picture of what our worship should look like? It was reckless. It was abandoned. It was unrestrained. It was sacrificial. It was wholehearted. It was unequivocal. Nothing was held back because her heart was overwhelmed and overcome with such desperate, deep affection and devotion to her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think about how we worship and how we're trained to control our emotions, how we're trained to remain some decree of decorum and sophistication. I don't want anybody to see me crying. I don't want to see anybody talk about me for getting emotional. I mean, after all, we're, we're civilized and we're educated people, are we not? We don't want to look foolish. We, we care so much about our image. Huh. Do you remember King David? The king. The king. The man who held the highest authority, the most respected man in the kingdom. But when it came to acknowledging God's presence 
and his glory, David divested himself of his royal robes. He laid down his crown. He put on a linen ephod, which was something that the kings would put on when they ministered to the Lord. And he said, this is now time for me and my king to worship him with an abandonment, to worship him in an unrestrained way. And the scripture tells us that as that ark was coming back into Jerusalem, as that ark was being returned to the place where it belonged, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. I mean, there was intensity, there was emotion, there was, there was this unrestrained display of God. I love you with all of my heart. I worship you with everything that is within me. And this body, I'm going to let it go wherever it wants to go because I'm going to worship you with every fiber of my being. That's worship in spirit and in truth. And the thing that I love most about the story is when he got home that night, Michal, his wife, said, David, are you proud of yourself for disgracing yourself, for shaming yourself? You're the king of Israel and you humiliated yourself before all the people. And David said to her, honey, if you think I shamed myself, I will become even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet. I will, I love the Bereans study the Bible. I will humiliate and humble myself even more than this because my king, my God, he is worthy of my praise. Uh, sometime, are you reluctant to lift your hands? Are you reluctant to open your mouth? God is worthy of our praise. I feel like maybe we need to take a praise break right now and say, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We honor you. We glorify you. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory. We worship you king of kings and lord of lords hallelujah well you talk about a praise fest the gospel writers describe that display of praise that took place on that first palm sunday and to me it was a big deal because just think about it for three and a half years what was Jesus doing he was going about doing good working miracles and as people learned about him they were following him I want to see more miracles give us more of that bread and fish take care of our needs become the king of Israel so that we won't have any more worries so we won't have to deal with uh, uh, Rome's tyranny but were they praising and worshiping him on this scale, there was nothing ever like it, but on this day, the Bible says the entire city of Jerusalem that was filled with these pilgrims from all over the world, they are there praising King Jesus. You're the one, Jesus. You are the long-awaited Messiah. Hosanna to the King. Listen to Luke's record of it. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all 
the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then we read Matthew and the crowds that went before and that followed him. They were all shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And do you see something? They just weren't doing it with their lips. There was action involved here. Matthew records most of the crowd stripped themselves of their outer coats. They laid it down. They were rolling out the red carpet. They cut down branches and spread them in the road so that Jesus could come into Jerusalem with fanfare because he was so worthy. Now, I understand in Jewish culture that when you remove your cloak, you actually lose your identity because your outer garment would mark your status in society. And it's kind of like people saw what you wore and know where you were in society. Remember Joseph from his dad got that coat of many colors. It was Joseph's identity. It was his prestige. But I wonder if we're willing to strip ourselves of our cloaks. I wonder if we're willing to strip ourselves of our identity and lose our glory to become swallowed up in worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And John tells us they also took branches of palms and they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, waving their palms. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That Palm Sunday was a big deal because as they waved those palms, they were shouting, Hosanna. Do you know that that word, Hosanna, is only found in one place in the Bible? And that's where we read it in Psalm 118 and verse 25. We read in the English language, God save us. But in the Hebrew, the word is Hoshiana, from which we get the word, obviously, Hosanna. And they were quoting the psalm. Hoshiana, God save us. As they were waving those palm branches, God help us. God, we need you. You are our deliverer. Now, Bible scholars tell us that Hoshiana was not only a cry of help, but was also a shout of hope. It was a shout of exaltation. It meant salvation has come. Deliverance has come. The long-awaited Messiah is here. So when the crowds were chanting Hosanna to the son of David, they were saying the son of David is our salvation. Our God will save us. Salvation belongs to the king. And the gospel writers tell us that when the crowds were unhinged in their praise, what happened to the religious leaders? They became unhinged in their criticism. And they had the utter audacity to say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They could not acknowledge that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They were the ones who studied the scripture. 
They were the ones who supposedly knew what all of the signs of the coming Messiah were to be. But when Jesus revealed himself and then wept over Jerusalem because in the day of their visitation, they did not recognize that he was the long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus responded, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You know, there's something about a religious spirit. The Pharisees were religious. They weren't godly. They were religious. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. And the religious spirit wants to stay cloaked in this facade of sophistication and this facade of we reverence the holy God. We don't make any outward display of emotion because that is in some way, shape, or form an irreverent demonstration and is not worthy of God. Jesus said, if these are silent, they were crying out, they were shouting, and Jesus willingly received the praise because he was worthy of the praise. He was God in the flesh. And if people don't praise him, then the very rocks will cry out. The sun, the moon, and the stars declare his glory. And you and I, who are the redeemed of the Lord, we remain silent. We remain with our lips sealed. Oh, Christian friends, this morning, may we recognize and understand when we open up our mouths and we start praising God, our praises begin to destroy the strongholds of the evil one, to break the power of the adversary, to destroy the works of the devil. Praise dismantles the strategies of the devil and brings victory and peace and grace and joy in our lives. I'm finding more and more in my Christian walk that the times when I feel least like praising the Lord, the times when I feel the strongest power of the enemy trying to discourage me, to, to bring despondency and despair into my heart is the very time when I need to turn around and say, God, you're worthy of praise. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, your name is to be praised. In the sunshine or in the rain, your name is worthy to be praised. In the good times and in the bad times, your name is worthy to be praised. And finally this morning I want to say that this Palm Sunday was a very big deal because on this Palm Sunday Jesus laid down clearly and unequivocally the demand for discipleship. You say, what does that have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, it's what happened on Palm Sunday that as these crowds were cheering in John 12 and verse 20, we read that there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the festival and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, sir, we want to see Jesus. We want a private audience with Jesus. And we know you're one of his disciples, so you could make that happen. 
And so the Bible says that Philip went to tell Andrew, I guess he was thinking, I can't, can I go to Jesus? And t Andrew, would you come with me? Maybe together we could have the audacity to ask him if he would meet with these Grecians. And the Bible says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus, that's not what I ask you. I ask you if you would meet with these Grecians who want to have audience with you. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Was Jesus ignoring the request of these foreigners who wanted to spend some time with Jesus? Yes, he was. Because it was not time now to talk to anyone. It was time for him to fulfill his raison d'etre. Why did he come? He was filled with the awareness that the hour was at hand for him to go to the cross. And he says, verily, truly, I tell you, Unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's Jesus saying? If I don't die, I won't have an inheritance. If I don't die, I won't have a harvest. If I don't die, I won't be able to bring many sons into glory. But if I die, there will be a bountiful harvest. And then he says this, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant also will be. This Palm Sunday was a big deal because Jesus lets us know in no uncertain terms if we really, truly want to be his disciples, we need to follow him. Where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. Are we willing to go to the cross? Are we willing to lay our lives down? That's the cost of discipleship. So what's the big deal about Palm Sunday? Let's recap. It calls us this week to holy reflection on the sufferings of Christ. Will you make it a point to spend time in the Gospels and read those familiar stories and ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation, making it real to your heart the price that Jesus paid for our salvation. It reminds us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. On that Palm Sunday, when the, the nation of Israel was selecting the lamb that would be slain Jesus said, I'm the lamb. And once slain forever, the price has been paid. Our salvation has been purchased. Jesus, our Passover. And in a moment, we're going to
celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what a joy it is this morning to know that as we take that bread and drink the cup, that we receive those elements which are the body and the blood of Jesus that was laid down for us, for our eternal life. Palm Sunday's a big deal because thirdly, it encourages our faith that what God promises, he will fulfill. Though it tarry, it shall come. Fourthly, it calls us to fervent praise and to shout our hosannas to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he's so worthy. He's so worthy. And finally, it calls us to follow him even to death. Let's bow our heads this morning. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I want us to meditate upon the song that is going to be played on the screen in a moment, Down La Via Della Rosa. And let's remember this morning, that's why Jesus established communion as a memorial service so that we never forget, but in very clear, plain ways, we remember the price that Jesus paid for us. So let's meditate on the passion of Jesus and then we will receive communion. <laughs> 